Hello, this is Todd Starnes. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor at Odessa First Assembly, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy this message, and I pray the Holy Spirit ministers to you. Remember, Scripture tells us in Philippians 2.13, for it is He that works in us to will and to act according to His good purpose. And I pray that that work begins in you today. Luke chapter 15, we've been in a series um, these last few weeks about parables. We've been looking at different parables of Jesus. We looked at the parable of the sower. We looked at um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week we talked about the parable of the great banquet. This morning we're going to talk about the, uh, um, prodigal son. There we go. There's his, there, there it is. I found it. And so, but I'm going to tell you, I know so many times, most of us, I would say that whenever we hear the parable of the prodigal son, the emphasis and focus is on the prodigal son. And, and that's valid. There, there is a great truth there. I'm going to tell you, that is not a, why that Luke 15 was written. The focus is not on the sinner figure is not on the prodigal son. The two main players about the prodigal son is the father and the older brother. And we're going to look at that this morning, and, and we'll touch on the prodigal son. And, and, uh, but I, the prodigal son, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the prodigal son, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. And I, just, I know that you have a truth for us today. I know that you have an encounter for us, and I pray just that, that your words, Lord, that our spirit and life would speak to our hearts, that our hearts would be good soil, ready to receive your word. I pray today that we would be encountered, transformed, Lord, what, that we don't leave here the way that we came in, and we'll give you all the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm wondering, how many of you in the room have siblings? Anybody got siblings? You got a brother, sisters, any of you? And, I, and how many of you just get, have always, historically, now, or when you were younger, got along perfect with your siblings? You, you want to say that you're lying? Girl, I'm going to give an altar call right now. No. I, you know, s- siblings, I think, can argue and fight with the best of them. Sibling rivalries. Um, there's a quite a bit of age. I have two sisters. They're both older, and I hope they're watching online, but they're both older, um, my oldest sister, Debbie, I call her B, um, she's 11 years older than me. My sister, just right above me, she's seven years older than me. That's, that's Kelly. Um, Debbie left the house at a, at a young age. She was actually left the house at 15. Um, my, sister le- my sister Kelly left the house. I was 12 years old when she graduated and went off to college. And so there was some fights and some arguments, but having that wide range, I mean, Kelly and Debbie fought a lot. <laughs> Because they were a little closer in age. But, I, you know, the, I remember several years ago, our, our three kids, they were just like, I mean, it was like, it was World War III between them. I mean, they were, the, and I mean, I was, I was hurt. I was grieved. And because and I had never seen anything like that. And I went to Angela. I was like, Angela, our kids are going to kill each other. And I'm not being facetious. I'm like, they hate each other. And she laughs. I'm like, how can, what are you, why are you laughing? She said, oh, <laughs> Because, I mean, I look at her and her siblings' relationships now as adults, and, you know, she's, oh, me and Chris could fight with the best of them. I was like, no way, really? And, I mean, Angela was really able to speak some truth to me about how the arguments that siblings can get into. 
And when we look at Luke chapter 15, what Jesus is illustrating is the heart of the older brother. Matter of fact, beginning, I mean, when you look at Luke 15, you've really got to read it with the whole chapter. We're not going to do that this morning. We're just going to focus on the prodigal. But there's two other stories that Jesus talks about when he's heading about the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, I mean, we're going to focus on the last of the three, but there's the parable of the lost sheep. That's the way the chapter begins. Then there's the parable of the lost lost coin, and then we get to the lost son. And so before we really get to the meat of our text, I do want to read the first two verses of Luke chapter 15, because it sets up everything for the rest of the chapter. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look there with me, if you want to go to the, if you have the YouVersion Bible app and you go to events, uh, you'll see our church name come up and you can follow along with the sermon notes there um, or on the screen. So Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2, it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? And there's something I want you to understand that's really important is Luke's use of the quotations. I mean, he is putting, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And so this was really upsetting the religious, the Pharisees and the scribes Uh, at this moment and in that culture sitting down and having a meal it showed that a person had a certain amount of edification or welcome or embracing with those that he was eating with and Jesus was eating with sinners then he was guilty by association the Pharisees would not even go to such people They would never teach such people. They would never show those people how to get to God. They were focused in on themselves and the rules and regulations and and the law of the Old Testament. And so they would really had their, you know, really bless me club, bless my four and no more. They were always careful to stay clean according to Old Testament standards. And here was Jesus. Here was Jesus eating with these sinners. I, I don't know if, anybody, if, if there's anybody in this room, but I kind of identify with this. Anybody with me? Aren't you grateful that Jesus identified with you? That he came down uh, 100% God 100% man, that he knows every temptation of man, yet came out sinless so that he could be the spotless, the spotless lamb sacrificed for our sins. And so he came to offer salvation to sinners. He came to minister to those that the Pharisees deemed as unworthy. Jesus didn't worry about the accusations. He continued to meet with those who needed him. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that he came to who? He came to those who were sick and hurting. We need to read the pair of the prodigal and think about this, that Jesus is answering some grumbling that is taking place. And so he goes into to show us something. And what he shows through the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son is the Father's heart. That's the first thing that he shows us. Where the, we are the focus of the Father's heart. We are the one, the sheep, from the 99 that was lost. We are the coin that was lost. 
We are the prodigals. And he talks about how the father goes after that lost one. He finds that lost one. He celebrates the coming home of that lost one. With the lost coin, think about it. I mean, this coin, you have to understand, when the coin fell and the woman was sweeping for the coin, I know you need to maybe go back and look at the rest of the chapter later, but when she's sweeping from that coin, that coin is lost in the dirt and the muck of the floor, yet the woman does all that she can to find that coin. We're the coin. I mean, where the Pharisees and the religious wouldn't go, because then that coin is defiled, it's unclean, but yet Jesus went after it. The, the, the woman sought diligently, and also we see a celebration when the coin is found. The father of the prodigal. I mean, we see that the father saw him a long way off, and the father ran to him, and then what do they do? They celebrate it. Matter of fact, in Luke 15, 24, he says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so, remember this in response as we look to the prodigal son. In verses 1 through 3, we read that these tax collectors, these sinners, were all drawing near to him. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then verse 3, so he told them this parable. Why did Jesus share these parables? Because of what the religious were grumbling. So are you with me right now? So let's really look, and I do, I want to take the time and let's read the scripture of the prodigal son. Oh, and look, I just now, I forgot, I just now started my timer. Luke 15, 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of this property that is coming to me. And he divided this property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. Matter of fact, prodigal has a specific meaning. If you didn't know, prodigal really means wasteful living. Is the actual meaning of prodigal. Not many days later, the son gathered all he had. He squandered. He spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. Now remember that pigs are unclean to the Pharisees. And so here he is feeding the pigs. Long, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I just want to interject right here. I've said this many times because it's the truth that we really need to get a hold of, I believe especially in today's culture. To come to the place of salvation, you have to come to the place of admission of sin. You have to. You cannot get saved without recognition that you have been living the wrong way. When we repent, that's what we're doing. We're like, I, mean, I, I quote the verse all the time, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is just and able to forgive us and cleanse us 
of all unrighteousness. And so we have to come to that place. But so, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your heart. Verse 20, and he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I would dare say there's been some people in the room and because of where you have been, you think the Father is going to judge you. That, that, that we, we have this syndrome in that we got to get things right before we get right. And you need to know that will never work. It'll never work that way. You can't get right before you get right. Just come to the Father. He'll see you with His love and His eyes of compassion. And He'll run to you and embrace you. The son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants quickly. And of course, all this has significant meaning. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but the best robe, put it on him. The ring on his hand, the shoes on his feet, those have specific meanings. But verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate but verse 25, this is where, remember, he is sharing this story to expose the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so this is where he gets the meat of what he's talking about. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what did these things meant? And he said to him, it's interesting to know that the older son even missed the son coming home. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Verse 29, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and what is mine will be yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead, and as alive, he was lost, and now he's found. Jesus is showing the difference on how the Pharisees and how Jesus saw the unclean. How the religious of the day and how Jesus, how differently they saw those who were hurting and in need. He searched for the sheep. He searched for the coin on the dirty floor. He took his son back, even though that he had been in pig slop. Even though they had been in pig slop. And, I, you know, there's so many times, I know I, I kind of make light of it. I kind of, well, you know, there's truth in anything I guess you laugh about, I guess. But I, hey, I'm, I love me some pig. I like pork chops. I like spare, I like baby backs. Come on, pork butt. I, I, have, a, I have a recipe for pork butt. I smoke it for 18 hours. Oh, I'm telling you. But I, the interesting, and I always talk about Acts chapter 10, especially when I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to see something right here. And I, I really don't mean it towards pig or swine, but I mean it towards us. Acts 14, 15, but Peter said, by no means, Lord. See, Peter was having these visions, right? And it was all these unclean animals, and God was speaking to him, and and he's like, and it was blowing Peter's mind. He's like, 
but Lord, all this stuff is unclean. Verse 15, Acts chapter 10, and a voice came to him again a second time, and here's what some of you need to hear. The Holy Spirit is speaking this to some of you right now. What God has made clean, don't call uncommon. What God has made clean, don't call trash. What God has touched, don't call uncommon. You hear me this morning. You, the devil wants you to believe that you're unworthy. The enemy wants you to believe that you've done too much wrong. The enemy wants you to believe that you're too dirty, too nasty, there's too much that has happened. But what you need to know is that God is still searching for you because that's his heart. That's who he is. He's the Father. And so he's going to leave the 99 to go look for you. He's going to sweep the whole floor to try to find you. And he's going to meet you on that road when you come home. That's who our God is. So how does this relate to us? How does the older son relate to us? I'm going to tell you, we should look at how we see ourselves. Us as believers really need to look on how we see ourselves. In Luke 18, we see another, another parable, and I think a powerful parable, but I believe it illustrates this point better than anything. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. So that's the, I want that verse 9 to seek in. Jesus is answering those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went into the temple to pray. One Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You really broke the mold when you made me. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like the tax collector, even like this. I mean, this is like the totally opposite of Elijah, right? Do you remember... Or is it Elisha? One of those guys. It was Elijah or Elisha. But the one that, you know, he had the, it was Elijah with that Mount Carmel. And uh, he got on the pity pot about saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one righteous. I mean, this guy's saying, there's no one as righteous as me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector staying far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Romans, we read it this way. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think of you, to yourself, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'm gonna, I have said it so many times, over and over and over. The only thing that separates me from someone that is lost is that I believed. The only thing that separates me. And that belief and faith in Christ, yes, it unlocks everything for me. For eternity, for healing, for restoration, and all that comes with that belief. But it is still only simply belief. 
I talk about it many times. I've said it before. You know, I grew up in a small town, in a small church, and uh, I, I think one year we had uh, uh, 52 salvations because they were all me. Because uh, I, I went down every... Has anybody ever felt that way? We judge ourselves by our intentions, but others by their actions. And that really comes down to the truth of the matter. We have to have an accurate view of ourselves. Now, I'm going to tell you what Scripture... It, I, make no mistake, I understand what Scripture tells us. And I, I'm not trying to, to say that we, we act in some kind of false humility. I know Scripture tells me in Ephesians 2.10, that I'm, a, I'm his workmanship, that I'm, I'm the beautiful thing that God has made, that he, in the Psalms and in Job, he tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb, and we see in Romans that we're more than conquerors, and, and I understand that, and I believe that, and I know we have to live that way, but friend, understand something, in our relationships with one another, we've really got to understand that we all put our pants on one leg at a time. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that when somebody first gets saved of, of uh, you know, of this understanding of, of, of the grace of God and the impact. I mean, you know, we kind of go from really depending upon God's grace to it really becoming lip service. When the fact of the matter is it doesn't mean you've been saved today. Does it matter if you've been saved 10 days? It doesn't matter if you've been saved 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We all need the grace of God. There's a fine balance of how we see ourselves in a lot of God's grace in our relationship with others. We should have confidence, yes, how we see ourselves in Christ, but understand that we don't compare ourselves to one another. There's only one comparison we make, and the Scripture says we fall short but Jesus is the one that makes the difference. We should look how we see others. We, should not, we shouldn't just look how we see ourselves. We should look and how we see others. And I, there was probably better grammar on how to say this, but I really thought it would show the simplicity of it. I mean, what I'm talking about look is really taking that inventory and, and taking that stock. We should look how we see others. I mean, we really need to take time and investigate to take a heart check on how we see others. In Luke chapter 7, we see where a woman comes into a Pharisee's house. Jesus is there. He's eating. Uh, you can write this down in your notes and go back. I'm going to draw this a couple of scriptures, and you can look at the whole of it later. And so this lady comes into Simon's house, and, and she comes up behind Jesus, and she's weeping. And, and she has this perfume, and, and her tears, with her tears, hair, and this perfume, she washes Jesus' feet. But this is, causes an interaction in Luke chapter 7. And in verse 37, we see this. A woman of the city, meaning prostitute, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining in the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought this alabaster flask of anointment, and she anoints, she weeps, she washes his feet with his, her tears and her hair. And you pick up in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, he said to himself, who did he say this to? Come on, help me out. Who did he say this to? He said it to, does anybody ever say to yourself? When you say to yourself, usually it's not out loud. 
Sometime the other, here we were working the fireworks stand, and I was saying to myself out loud, and Tony's like, Pastor, are you okay? I'm just talking to myself. I'm not answering myself, but I'm talking to myself. But he said to himself, meaning he thought it to himself, what do you think? If this man, were, if this man was who he said he was, he would know who this woman is touching him. Right? So he, it's the same view. This is consistent with Luke chapter 15 and this, how he's answering for this. And Jesus answered him, Simon. Um, yeah, I think you're a prophet, Jesus. I mean, right? And that was Simon is saying, if this man knew, if he was a prophet, and Jesus is like, well, since you're thinking it, Simon, here's the truth of the matter. And so... He shows that he is a prophet. I remember an encounter one time, a man that became my mentor, and, and I was in a bad place, and, and it, it, long story short, I remember getting right with God, and it was a powerful experience, and I was sitting in the front row, and he had asked something very unique. He said he didn't want anybody, no musicians, didn't want anybody playing, he just wanted prayer at the altar, and so I'm sitting there, and, I, and you know, silence is awkward for us sometimes, you know? And so he had asked this, but a lady ends up getting up and, and, and uh, approaches the platform and starts playing the piano. And I think to myself, Todd, this guy said that he didn't want anybody playing the piano, and that lady's playing the piano. And I, I'm sitting right here, he's sitting right here, he jumps up. He said, that's exactly right, and that's exactly what I said. It's like, no bad thoughts, no bad thoughts, no bad thoughts. <laughs> But here we, Jesus exposed himself as a prophet. And he says this. He would have, and Jesus answering, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. He's going to regret that a little bit. Verse 41. He gives this parable about two people who were in debt. In debt to one moneylender. One guy own, uh, owes about a year and a half wages Another guy owes a couple of months, and so there's a big disparity there. And so Jesus says that this moneylender forgives both of them their debt. And Jesus asks this question in verse 42. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for which he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. The time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head. With all this were cultural things. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much." But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now let me explain something to you. Jesus is not saying, I mean, he's answering Simon's thoughts. He's not suggesting to go sin more so that you love God more. That is not what this is saying. This is not saying there are levels of God's forgiveness and love. Scripture tells us that God is love. What does that mean? That God loves you no matter what you do right, and God loves you no matter what you do wrong. 
But see, God is also a God of justice. So people say, well, how can, if God loves me, then how can he judge me? If God loves me, then how can there be a heaven and a hell? Because God is much as justice as he is love. He's not saying there's levels of love of God's forgiveness. He's telling Simon that if you only saw me like this woman sees me, if you only worshipped like this woman worshipped, you would understand that you both have been forgiven much. It's not that one that God loves one more than the other because one has done more wrong than the other. It's the heart of both. Come on, church, do you hear me? It's the heart of both. Is, is my wife in, is she working? Okay. Angela, how old were you when you got saved? She was six years old. Might as well have been out of the womb, right there. Just. Anybody get saved earlier than six? Anybody earlier than six? Angela's pointing at somebody. Vicky, Vicky did you get saved before? Four years. Vicky was four years old. Wept at the, I'm repeating just for the audio. Wow. Came to that place that knew Jesus died at four years old. I got saved at six and seven and eight and nine and ten. Eleven, four or five times. Thirteen, fifty-two times. But both testify of the plan of God, the providence of God, and the love of God. And I'm going to tell you something. I remember being in a service when I was a teenager. I went back in the day when we had monthly youth rally. Anybody remember old CA? We are Christ ambassador. Okay, anyway. We'd have these once a month youth rallies. And I remember a guy giving his testimony about how bad he was. And I remember in the middle of him giving his testimony so I can go do bad stuff and still be okay and get right with God. And so many people fall into that fallacy. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that you can make hope. And what I wouldn't give, there's not much that I regret that I hold on to. That, now, when I first came to the Lord, I had a lot of regrets, but I think the Lord has brought me out of them. But I tell you, if there's one thing I could go back for is to slap 13-year-old Todd right across the head and say, wake up. It's worth serving God. It's worth giving your all. Because my regrets in life are from that moment until I came to Christ when I was in college, when it was authentic and it was real. Jesus knows that Simon Hart, he thinks he's better than this woman who's worshiping Jesus. Listen to me. I, 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 somewhere in my sermon I have this illustration. I don't even remember the entire illustration. I just remember reading it years ago. And, you know, so many times when we give altar call and, 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 and come to faith prayers, we, we pray. And I always tell us what? I always say, we're, we're going to pray along with those who... Are, are praying this prayer. He's asked for a response, and people raise their hand, they, and they're going to give their heart to the Lord. But we all pray together, and I say, why? Because we're family. We're going to do this together. Anybody remember me saying that at least once in the last eight years? Okay, I say it all the time. 
And the reason I do that is because of a story I read so many years ago. And I don't remember how the exact story goes, but there was two monks that went to a city and uh, they kind of separate ways, and one was struggling in his faith, and, and he really took in all that the city had to offer, all the world had to offer, and kind of went his own path. But they did come back together, and they're walking back, and, and the other monk could tell this one monk was weighed down, heavy, just not himself. There was something different, and after much discussion, he finally comes out about how that he turned from his faith, and, and he, 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 he lived up all that that city had to offer, and, but now he was full of a lot of regret and so the other monk I mean he's trying he's talking to him he's ministering to him and it, and it comes to a point of breakthrough the guy realizes I mean and what the other monk is doing is, is saying okay you can still come back you can still come home we can still do this but he was so worried about what everybody what the monastery would think and so the one monk responded to this he said brother he said I will go down with you and we will both weep and we will both cry, and they won't know which one of us is the sinner. And that's always moved and touched me because what I want our church to be about is not look, do you see who's there? That's not us. That's the older brother syndrome. That's when whoever responds, even if they have responded 52 times in one year to the altar call, we grab them by the shoulder and we walk down to the altar with them and we weep with them and we believe with them and we cry with them. That's who we're going to be. And so, here's a little thing. Maybe you can write it in your brain or on a piece of paper or whatever. If you look up to you, then you'll always look down at others. If you look up to you, you'll always look down to others. And the third thing is this. What these stories show us is we should look at how we see the Father. The shepherd and the lost sheep. The woman and the lost coin. The Father and the lost son. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever lost anything that is precious to you, but I would dare say you, if you've ever lost something precious to you, you've done everything within your power, strength, ability to find that which is lost. And the Father, our Father, is so much more than what we would ever realize or even could relate to. But see, the, the older son, it's just not that he had a bad view of the, his prodigal, this prodigal son, this prodigal brother that came home. But look what the older brother says in Luke 15 and verse 29 and 30. And so he asked his father, what, you know, what's going on? Why? His father answers him, but you know, my lost son's come home verse 29 but he answered his father look these many years i have served you i never disobeyed your command i mean you understand he's hitting the heart of the religious right there right yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours comes is devoured your property the prostitutes you killed and fattened a calf for him well hold on a minute there big guy Let's look back up to verse 12. 
in verse 12, we see the beginning of this story. That, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share. He says, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between him. Wait a minute, what does it say? Who did he divide his property to? So who got their inheritance? Both of them. Both of them. And yet the older son tells the father, you've never... He, and not only that, in that culture, the firstborn got double the inheritance. And so he got twice as much of his brother. I mean, the scripture tells us that his father divided the inheritance between them. And so he got his double portion. The prodigal son got a single portion. Yet he accuses the father, you've never given me anything. You've never done anything for me. You haven't done this for me. But wait a minute, he has. And so many times, those that are at a place of, of, of bound by a religious spirit, I'm going to tell you, what, 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 let, let me look at it this way. In verse 31, here's, here's where the Father really re reveals his heart. In verse 31, you are always with me and all my mind and yours. See, our relationship with the Father is that of presence and provision. Presence and provision. And I'm going to tell you something. You can be out in the highways and the byways and the streets and know God's presence and provision or be in this pew week in and week out, but your heart far away from God and not know what it's like to live in His presence or His provision. I'm not talking about just, I'm not talking about provision in the money way. I'm talking about why did the woman worship Jesus like she worshiped Him in Luke 7? And the Pharisee did not remember the moral of that parable. It's because this woman knew where she was. And matter of fact, Jesus, if you go on to read Luke 7, he says, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Understanding what we have been forgiven of. And it doesn't matter if you were a mass murderer or you just stole some chewing gum for all that fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one, but he's died for all of us and he paid for all of our sins. And so if it was just a stick of gum or the worst thing you could imagine, he loves us both and he wants us both reconciled with him and presence and provision. I hope and pray that this message ministered to you today. Remember, if you would like to see what's going on or want more information about us, just go to odessafirstassembly.com. And of course, you can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. God bless you.